This podcast is a project of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency committed to building creative communities and inspiring creative minds. You know, a little more funding and a little more um, kind of sustained funding would allow an artist to, to think primarily about the artistic side rather than just kind of surviving till the next day. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Massachusetts Cultural Council. Welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. And our guest today is Julie Koo, Vice President of TDC. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Anita. You have created quite a bit of conversation here in Massachusetts with a recent study uh, that was just unveiled by the Boston Foundation talking about how we pay for the arts in Boston. We are so rich with world-class organizations. You trip over the arts and culture here in the city of Boston, but how do we pay for it? I think that was kind of the, the subject of your study. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, we were asked by the Boston Foundation to take a look again and um, in, in the context of a city that's looking at the wider landscape of its arts and the role for the arts um, in the city, um, looking at the money, following the money seemed like an important thing to see if it's working, if it's not working. And so we did that. And. Um, one thing that I really loved about doing this report is that we got to not just look at the funding, but um, kind of develop some hypotheses for what that funding bought. Um, so, so that that was also exciting. So, looking at um, in you know outcomes in, in a sense almost. So, for you, biggest yes. surprise out of the study, your takeaway that you're when you walked away from the study, it was just the one thing that you just kept saying over and over. Well. I mean, I guess there's two sides of that coin. So one side of that is now everybody knows that the big organizations dominate in, in any environment, but the extent to which they dominate here in Boston was surprising to me. Um, I think the number was there uh, maybe 40% of the whole ecosystem, 45%. Um, so, so that was one piece. The other piece was um, the the struggle, but also the success that smaller organizations have been able to um, to to foster for themselves, in spite of um, in spite of the kind of funding that we have here, was impressive. And so we see many organizations that struggle to make connections with um, donors. And um, I think from looking at the data in Boston, smaller organizations have just done a bang up, tremendous job at doing that and that was impressive to me. So in terms of sort of the hierarchy of funders, mm -hmm. um, you looked at Boston and then you looked at other comparable, comparable cities across America. Yeah. And you looked at where the money comes from. Does it come from the federal government, from the state, from the cities? Does it come from individual donors, from foundations? How are we alike and how are we different from our contemporaries? Sure. Um, so in terms of the kinds of funding, um, I guess the the image that was in my head about Boston was it's dominated by um, these kind of blind economic forces of uh, Adam Smith's invisible hand. So individual donors and ticket buyers making decisions um, through their own preferences. So that's what dominates the market here. Um, earned revenue um, from, from um, ticket sales and individual donors. Um, the foundations and government, on the other hand, um, are a lot smaller of a factor, particularly for smaller organizations. Um, in other cities, we saw smaller organizations getting a much larger percentage of their budgets from government and foundation sources. Um, 
and, and less so from individual sources. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, for uh, you see a lot of organizations that are run by a single person, a couple of staff people, and it's a lot easier for that person to write that one big grant proposal. Um, and and get that nice big check from a foundation or from a government agency, and um, and not go through just the blood, sweat of tears of cultivating individual after individual for those funds. And in fact, I ran an organization like that um, in New York City. We um, we got a lion's share of our funding from the New York State Council on the Arts, and that was just our lifeblood. Um, and um, Niska is at kind of a scale that's that that is a lot different from other states, but. It, it kept us going, and organizations here in Boston don't have that. So it's going to be interesting sort of to, to continue the conversation now. I kind of want to bifurcate it into what we know based on your study. Yep. But going back to your sweet spot is helping organizations yes. be financially healthy and strong. Yep. So what does this knowledge that we've gleaned from, okay, so here is the, here's the landscape of funding. Here's what it looks like in Boston. Mm -hmm. So how does an organization take this information and how does that advise their strategies? Um, the Mass Cultural Council, of course, you know, we have one goal in mind, head north in terms of having more funding yes. that we can invest in the arts in Massachusetts. That's my message to you, too. <laughs> yes. And we are totally on board, although yep. interestingly enough, um, we uh, make more grants mm -hmm. than just about any other state arts agency in America. Mm -hmm. um, so while where we rank is approximately usually about in the ten, top yep. 10 per capita. But we fund a lot more organizations. Yep. We have 400 organizations getting unrestricted operating support, mm -hmm. which is more than well mm -hmm. over uh, what most other states do in terms mm -hmm. of their level of funding. So while we're not maybe as big on a grant-by-grant -grant basis, yep. we have our fingerprints in a lot of organizations. Well, I mean, I think that's huge. So giving advice to a funder, <laughs> um, I think one of the things that we found from looking at government funding across um, all these different communities was sometimes the pots of money weren't that big, but I think a part of the power is um, you know, setting the agenda a bit. So if a funder um, especially a, a, a public funder makes a decision that this is important to us and you must fill out this question on the form and care about this. I mean, one example was in just thinking about communities and serving your communities, asking organizations to answer the question, how do you serve your communities and what are your communities? I think that um, drives a different mindset in organizations. So I, no matter no matter what the money is, um, I, I think that that makes a difference and an impact out there. And the leveraging power, we hear that so much. Yes. Much as we wish we were a bigger percentage of anybody's budget, mm -hmm. um, the mere having of a Mass Cultural Council grant yep. um, helps give confidence to other donors Absolutely. that this is an organization worthy of um, investing in. And actually, to your uh, to your original point, we actually changed our operating support program mm -hmm. about five or six years ago from one where the priority was artistic excellence, and now it's public value. So okay. that goes to that very question you just raised, how are you serving your community? Yep. Uh, I think some of the new trend in advice that we're seeing our organizations listen to, um, rather than saying, I'm going to put all my muscle into building a big endowment of which I can draw oh, maybe yeah. 4 or 5% a year, mm -hmm. there might be another way to um, help with financial sustainability. What, what are you advising? Oh, well, um, we definitely see that kind of um, amassing of cash um, in a, higher, a strict hierarchy of needs. And so before you jump all the way to endowment, think about those immediate needs first. Um, so we've done other studies on capitalization in the arts, and that's kind of the clear message there, where if you can't pay the bills today, 
it's not time to start thinking about an endowment and um, and, and and serving uh, the, the needs of today over tomorrow. If you can't serve the needs of today, let's not think about tomorrow yet. So definitely. Going back to what we're understanding about the funding landscape here mm -hmm. in Boston. Um, one of the things we hear from a lot of our organizations is, you know, the corporate opportunity is, you know, has passed us by, the headquarters aren't here anymore, yep. or they're reprioritizing where their giving priorities are and they're not in the arts anymore. So mm -hmm. there's more and more of a dependency on individual giving. Is that what you're seeing? And how does that relate to uh, what you're finding in the study? Oh, well, we definitely saw, I think, corporate giving across the board. It was down in most of the communities that we looked at. Maybe it was in Minneapolis and perhaps Cleveland, where it wasn't so bad. Um, so I think that that is a part of just the thinking of where corporate philanthropy has gone. So it's more kind of a, about marketing rather than about um, um, a, a philanthropic motive. So we saw that a lot of the dollars that were going out were going to large organizations that were having more eyeballs that were kind of serving those needs for a corporation. Um, here in Boston, we definitely saw um, the the kind of live bodies out there that might give corporate funding are, are less and less. Looking at the top ten employers in Boston, um, you know, half of them are nonprofits themselves, and so they're not really good prospects for corporate giving in that way. Um, but I think there is, I mean, in, in a way, they're almost acting like individuals, I think. Mm -hmm. So having those relationships, fostering relationships with executive level people and kind of, you know, becoming that organization that they care the most about, perhaps that's a way that organizations, organizations can think about them using the same techniques that you might use for an individual donor. Who came out as the shining star in terms of the mix of funding oh. of the other cities? It's okay, we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess San Francisco has always set kind of the high bar because it's, um, there's, there's a lot of analogs with Boston. Um, I think we both have very highly educated populations, um, which usually goes along with culturally engaged. Um, we both have economies that are kind of on the uptick, although I think maybe San Francisco is outpacing us a little bit there. And they've got a lot of funding. Um, they've had strong mun municipal funding for a very, very long time um, in San what Francisco. Is that? What do you mean by strong? What, what what kind of municipal funding? What? So, how much? Oh, um, I don't know. Well, maybe so you don't have to. <laughs> I, think I'm, I, I don't have that number off the top of my head, but it's it's a it's a good it's a good number, and it's so it's funding that they got um, that that is being derived from a hotel tax. Mm. Um, so they have a dedicated revenue stream dedicated built into the stream. city. Yes, um, and they have a couple of different ways they've got um, this a grants for the arts program that comes partly from the hotel tax partly from the city general fund and then an arts commission itself um, and they also have a bunch of organizations that are getting funding from um, city line items so altogether this is amounting to it looks like 60 over 60 million dollars oh, in wow. 2012 which is um, astounding, astounding, and at a scale that's, I don't know, kind of orders of magnitude <laughs> higher than what we have in Boston here. So they've got that. They also have a strong um, a cadre of private foundations that are arts leaders there, and I think nationwide. Um, some of those foundations are, are making their impact all over the country. 
Um, and they've got that, that booming economy and individuals who, who are, who are um, supporting a lot of these organizations. They kind of have all the boxes checked off. When we hear about other places like Denver or Minneapolis, Minnesota mm -hmm. or San Francisco that do have robust funding resources, yes. it feels like we hear a lot about a dedicated funding stream. Mm -hmm. Is that your observation? Is that generally the uh, uh, the secret weapon to get? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's inter it's interesting because um, in in the course of my research for this report, I, I talked to um, someone in, in the LA um, Cultural Commission, and his thought was, you know, you kind of want this to be in the the general budget. Hmm. You want the city to make a commitment and have it not tied to a particular funding stream. I mean, sometimes that can have unintended consequences when it's tied to something. So for example, the hotel motel tax um, in Houston, um, they interpreted that to mean since it's tied to a hotel motel tax, it must be about tourism. And so we're only going to support organizations with this money that drive tourism. That's not small and mid-sized organizations. For or youth part. development or right. that type. Yeah. Right. Or um, the, the funding stream in Minneapolis was tied to this legacy fund. Um, and I mean, this is a funny thing where um, who's who's the ultimate beneficiary? Is it the citizens or is it the organizations? And in Minnesota, they decided it's citizens and this legacy that we're leaving for our children. And so, um, a, a, some good chunk of the funding in Minnesota is going to non-arts organizations. So either directly to artists who are working with communities, um, or to um, other nonprofits, non-arts nonprofits that are doing arts programming. So sometimes you get these kind of funny. Um, I guess unintended consequences mm -hmm. from the form of funding. So as we look at the funding landscape, which is, um, as I talked to some people after hearing the presentation, it was illuminating, but at the same time they don't really feel the needle has moved that far in the last 10 years. Would that be your observation as well, that the it's a bit static in terms of um, the I think funding so. environment here? I think so. Um, I mean, we looked back in 2002, we had we had different tools at our disposal, so I think it was harder to get at some of the more precise numbers we were able, we were able to put on the table this time. But the takeaways were the same. I mean that individuals are driving the system that we have um, not as present um, foundation and government funding. That's that's all still there. That that large organizations dominate. That that was the case then. So. That brings us to now what? Now yeah. what do we do? So, so this is the landscape. Ten years ago, this is the landscape today. Yep. Um, in looking at ten years of, of a funding environment in Boston, did this trigger to you some, um, some changes that we can make either in the way we talk about it and the way we advocate? Uh, certainly having this information in front of us is a nice platform on which to have a conversation, mm -hmm. but should we be saying something different? Well, I mean, I think at the end of this, it's it's kind of up to the community and um, to say, do we want this to change? Because I mean, in in a certain respect, in some ways, things are fine. I mean, we have a bunch of wonderful organizations; they're doing their work, um, and and um, and and they have some amount of cash to be able to see them to the, to, to the next day. And if that's good enough for the city then that's good enough. But if not, 
if um, I mean we observe some gaps in in um, those outcomes that I talked about at the beginning of our conversations, like in um, the ability to innovate uh, artistically, um, like in um, certain disciplines like uh, performing arts, we saw some gaps. And so, if those are things that um, people in the community want to see changed, then I think having a conversation with um, the the donors and the funders with the heft and the wherewithal to target their funding in a certain way is the conversation that has to be had. I mean, there's this kind of long part in the report where we talk about um, externally funded giving fu funded revenue streams and internally f um, funded ones. And I think my my thought about all of that is that organizations are doing the best they can. They are out there busting their butts, um, selling their tickets, um, and and um, raising money running over individuals, and so they have done as much as they can. And it's kind of up to um, other folks um, who can kind of rally the resources around some of these potential priorities that the city might have for its arts ecosystem. So I think maybe it's about targeting is my advice. So if you want to see change, I think it's going to have to be targeted and it's going to be, and, and organizations are going to need help beyond what they can do themselves. We are so fortunate to live in a place that has so much in terms of the arts and culture, but we know we can be better. Mm -hmm. And um, if there's one thing we hear every single day here at the Mass Cultural Council, it's we could do more if we had more resources. Yes. And this report helps us understand where they're coming from now and perhaps where we could uh, accelerate uh, the resource development so that we can uh, be even better than we are already. Julie Coos, Vice President at TDC, thank you very much, one of our creative minds out loud. Thank you very much, Anita. It was wonderful speaking with you. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.